Mike Singletary once said, Do you know what my favorite part of the game is? The opportunity to play. This is Save vs. Rant. Welcome to Save vs. Rant, the everyman gaming podcast. I'm John. And I'm Jeremy. And today, we're getting serious about casual games. Now, the history of casual games is really the history of gaming. The oldest board game of all time is Senate, which is considered by today's standards a casual game. Mancala, tic-tac-toe, checkers, dots and boxes, marbles, jacks, hopscotch, all casual games. All meant to be games that can be picked up simply by players with minimal explanation, played for an arbitrary amount of time for an arbitrary number of games, and then easily set back down. So, what is the actual definition of a casual game? Uh, that's where it gets a little nebulous. Some people consider games like Ticket to Ride casual games, for example, whereas other people think that even Checkers is actually kind of a deep game if you care about it and you try to learn how to solve it and such. But ultimately, we used four criteria for determining what we believe counts as a casual game for our personal definitions. The first criteria is money. Each of these games has to cost $25 or less. The reason for this? Well, if it costs any more than that, it's an actual investment. But 20 25 bucks, you can give that away for a gift. Second criteria is time. A casual game shouldn't really take more than 30 minutes to play. Now, of course, this bars circumstances where the game gets runs wild due to some minor fluke in the rules or a player waffling with their time. But ultimately, a casual game should take 30 minutes or less to play around. The third criteria is space. A casual game really shouldn't take more space than a simple card table with the snacks and drinks on the table. Frankly, if it takes more space than that, it's probably a more in-depth game, and it's not a casual game. Also, you might throw your back out trying to lug it over to the new game night. Finally, our last criteria is ease of play. A casual game should be able to be explained in the time it takes for a player to join in the next round of the game. So... For us, the big reason why we want to talk about casual games is back in the day, John and I were broke. Dead broke. There would be ten of us in John's apartment sitting around wanting to play a game, and there would be a collective $20 between all of us. So we didn't have a lot of options for games. One thing that gave us options for playing new games, however, was casual games. Specifically, casual games as imagined by cheap-ass games. James Ernest's company, Cheap Ass Games, allowed him to make games that pushed the expectations of gaming and introduced new concepts to gaming in a casual format with certain assumptions that allowed the games to be made on a shoestring budget. Prior to this, basically, game companies had to back a full project in order to have a game. You'd have Sorry, Risk, Monopoly, and companies didn't want to get out of those major games because those were known sellers. Anything beyond that was a risk, and you really had to sell the companies on it. But with cheap-ass games, he, these games were sold for two to three bucks in a small cardboard box. They didn't include any paper money. They didn't include the pawns. They didn't include the dice. All that they would include would be the game boards that were needed to play the game. They were printed on cardstock, and of course, the cards that were needed in the game. The rules were included, oftentimes printed on the box itself, and they got you a wonderful, full, fleshed-out game for super cheap. You wouldn't have to starve that week. 
<laughs> we really were. But we loved gaming and we loved playing games with our friends. So we had to make that space in our budget. And cheap-ass games and other companies that made simple, casual games that could be picked up like that gave us that opportunity. And while major games like Yahtzee, Risk, and Monopoly are all touchstones of gaming and something we will rant about, and we will rant... That's not what we're getting at today. Today is about casual games. So let's just dive right in. We have a full list of games, and we're not going to fully go over each of these. We're just going to give you a brief synopsis of each of these games, just to whet your palate for wonderful casual games. So the first game we have on the list is, by cheap-ass games, Kill Dr. Lucky. It's a grim, grisly game with the subject matter akin to Clue, but it's played tongue-in-cheek. In the game, you're trying to kill the titular Dr. Lucky. Dr. Lucky is, as his name suggests, very lucky. So murder attempts on his life typically go awry for reasons completely outside of the control of the attempted murderers. The important thing in Kill Dr. Lucky is that you want to kill the good doctor and you have to do this when no one is looking. That's the bare bones of the game. It's a fairly simple game. It's played on a simple board that allows you to move into positions where the doctor is going to be approaching you and out of view of everyone else, giving you the opportunity to strike. Along the same lines are two other games, Get Lucky, which is just Kill Dr. Lucky but as a card game, and Save Dr. Lucky, which is Kill Dr. Lucky but in reverse. You're saving him on the deck of the Titanic. Yeah, and you have to do it when someone's watching, because otherwise, what's the point? All three of these games are a great introduction to casual gaming. They have wonderful art on all of them. The old versions, not so much, but even then, they were pretty good. The new, high-quality versions all have wonderful art and are a great addition to any gamer's bookshelf. Pros. Pretty simple, pretty easy. Personally, I love all the games where you have to try and kill someone. Cons? It does have a little bit of a space requirement. You have to set out a board for Kill and Save Dr. Lucky, which requires you to have room to do so. Uh, there are some fiddly bits to move around. And if you get the original editions, of course, you have to have the actual pawns and game pieces that you would need in order to play the game, which isn't much, but you do need a pawn to represent Dr. Lucky. The next game on our list is James Ernest's totally renamed Spy Game. A.K.A. Before I Kill You, Mr. Spy. A.K.A. Before I Kill You, a Mr. Bond. Oh, jeez, we're gonna get sued. Oh, that name is forbidden now. You see, when they made the game, they didn't realize that, well, they kind of realized that there was a possibility that they would be hit with a cease and desist order at some point, and inevitably it did happen. I remember going into uh, Steve's one day and he said, oh, hey, if you're looking for that uh, spy game, everybody's looking for it now because it's, you know, been pulled off the shelves. Fortunately, I had already gotten my copy. But the uh, renamed spy game is a press your luck game where you are the mad doctor or the mastermind trying to lure the spy into your increasingly complex and labyrinthine layer. And then when you obtain the spy, you kill him for points. Or you can taunt him for even more points. But if you taunt him, other people can thwart your uh, kill attempt and the spy can escape. The wonderful part about this game is that all of the taunt cards have these wonderful cutesy little quotes on them. For example, 
Before I kill you, Mr. Spy, allow me to reveal the full extent of my depravity using this toothbrush and this ball of twine. Or, before I kill you, Mr. Spy, I shall throw you in this tank of sharks, blithely unaware that shark tanks have enormous drains. See? Wonderful, cutesy, funny, everyone's gonna have a great time playing these down and saying them in over-the-top outlandish, possibly a little racist voices. They're great. Uh, pros of this game. It's quick. No one's really going to be upset if they lose. And everyone's going to have a great memory of that one card or that one time. Cons. Uh, Not a lot of replayability. Also, you have to shuffle together cards with different backs to form a big deck. Oh, wow. Yeah, I remember that. I forgot that's one of your pet peeves. Oh my god, I really do not like that. Do not like that at all. Uh, the next game on our list is Pairs. Yet another game by James Ernest. I know I know that we're, that we're really selling uh, up a lot of his games, but we do like him. We want to give him a bit of airtime here. And all of these games are wonderfully different. He is a pioneer of casual gaming. Pairs is a modern pub game played with a deck of cards that has 10 10s, 9 9s, 8 8 7 7 6 6s, 5 5s, 4 4s, 3 3s, 2 2s, and of course, 1 1. In it, you're pressing your luck, trying to not earn points. If you pair up, you get a number of points equal to whatever you paired, and if you don't want to take a card, you can instead take the lowest point of cards that are out on the board. Uh, once someone reaches the agreed-upon total, I don't know, he buys the next round, buys a shot, eh, whatever. It's it's a pub game. It's about the size of a deck of cards. Pros, um, it's super easy to learn and super fun once you've learned it. It's very simple. The mechanics are great. Everybody can quickly kind of ascertain what your odds are at a certain point. And it's very intuitive in that sense. You don't feel like you've got to do a lot of math to know that when you see a 10, it's bad news. And when you see a 2, you're probably okay. Also, the game has some fabulous art and several different variations on that fabulous art to choose from. Cons. Uh, once you learn the game, it's really simple. It's a game that you can play while you're pretty trashed. Pros! <laughs> the next game on the list, Flux. So, uh, Flux, it's a game by Looney Labs, and it is the most wild and varied game that we have on this list. The basic game starts out with a fairly simple rule. Draw a card, play a card. But as the game goes on, more rules are added. Oftentimes, new goals, ways of winning the game are added. Sometimes, other weird things are added, such as different draw limits, different play limits, all sorts of things. Cards come in keepers, which you keep, creepers, which you keep whether you want to or not, and action cards that you just play out, as well as new rules, variants on what you play. The thing about the game is, it's really kind of crazy. You'll, when the game starts out, you start with a simple rule, draw one card, play one card. But as it goes on, you might be drawing four cards, playing two cards, passing a card to your left, and it can go on like that. The cool thing about Flux is that there's a lot of variants to choose from. There's uh, regular Flux, of course, which is the base game. But then there's also, for example... Zombie Flux, Cthulhu Flux, Stoner Flux. Uh, what are the ones you have over near you, John? I've got regular show Flux, Oz Flux, Adventure Time Flux, but there's also Doctor Who Flux... There's mathematical flux, 
There's cowboy flux, all sorts of flux. I, I feel a little bit like Bubba in Forrest Gump, just naming all the different types of flux there possibly are. So the pros of flux are that it's easy to pick up and easy to play. It's silly. It goes in all sorts of chaotic directions, and it's unpredictable. It's very random, which is also kind of the first con of Flux. It's very random. It's unpredictable. It doesn't really go anywhere. There are some times that the game is over in one minute. There's been at least one game we've played where the game took over an hour. Yeah, we played that out, though. And another thing about Flux is, while you have all these awesome variants of Flux, Batman, Flux, Pirate, Flux, whatever... Ultimately, they don't really mesh together. There's not like some blender mechanic that makes them all work together. You can play with different decks of flux cards, but ultimately you're just going to find yourself searching for the flux cards from whatever set has a winning rule out right now. The next game on our list is Love Letter. This is the game on our list that I recommend the most. I love Love Letter. Love Letter is a very simple, quick, straightforward game. In it, you're trying to get your love letter to the princess by going through different intermediaries in the castle. The game is simple. You draw a card and you play one of the two cards in your hand. There are several variations on love letter. There's the original love letter, which is just love letter themed, but then there's uh, several other themed versions of it. There is, for example, an Adventure Time love letter. There's a Batman love letter. There's an Archer love letter. There's a Cthulhu love letter, Lovecraft letter. And all of these do add their own twist to the game and a few little rules mechanics meant to keep the game shaken up. But ultimately, it's a very simple, straightforward game that anyone can learn quickly that takes very little time to play. I mean, and there's only so many cards in the deck, so it doesn't last very long either. It's a round of love letter is very quick to play. For me, I was actually sold the game of love letter based on the fact that, it ha that it's a card game with 16 cards in it. The man at the counter went, oh yeah, this is a card game with 16 cards. Well, I'm intrigued. Yeah, throw, throw it into the pile. Why not? It is a great little game. Pros. Quick to learn. Quick to master, actually. A lot of little bits of intrigue. It's not just luck. It seems like that at first. And actually, for example, my younger brother thought that it was purely luck-based the first few times he played it. He's like, well, it doesn't matter because it's all luck of the draw. But about four games in, he started to get that there was a lot more to it than that and that your choice of card to play had a huge bearing on the game. There's bluffing and there's always the guessing what other players have in their hands using the Royal Guards. I mean, these are all mechanics in the game that do allow you to make certain strategic choices based on what you see and how other people play the game. Cons. There are some games that you just can't win. There are times where the cards in hand and the cards that you know that are left in the game means that there is no way that you can win this particular round. That can become very frustrating, but it can also be an interesting part of how the game plays out. Ultimately, you might get to your last card and say, there's nothing I can do to win. This is it. It's over. And that's okay. It's a simple, casual game. It's quick to play, so there's not a huge commitment to it, and you don't feel too cheated when the occasional game goes completely awry. Next game on our list is Cat Tower. What is Cat Tower? <laughs> Cat Tower is a casual game that I picked up at Gen Con one year. In it, you have to make a tower of these little cardboard cat cutouts that fold into a vaguely table-like shape. You set the cats on the counter and... 
You set the cats on your surface and go in alternating directions as you build up a tower of cats. And every once in a while you have to do weird things like put a cat on upside down or put a flat cat on the tower that hasn't been folded. These are all different things that might happen to change the dynamics of the game. It's basically a manual dexterity game and Jenga in reverse. The thing I like about this game is that in true cat fashion, eventually this precariously placed tower will get knocked over. Possibly by a cat getting up on the counter and knocking everything over. Pros of the game. It looks cute. Cute games are a hallmark of casual games. And any time that the art makes me go, aww, that's a game that I'm at least going to play one round of. It's also a neat little manual dexterity game, which makes a nice break from games that are purely intellectual. To some degree, you have to have a little bit of manual dexterity to play Cat Tower, and a lot of times you'll have those save moments where you think the tower's going to go down, but it stays up inexplicably, and that can be very rewarding. Cons. Unfortunately, you need a level playing surface. When we were playing this game right before we started recording, we were playing on a TV tray that was shaking a bit. That made for some very mm, lopsided games. Yeah, your mileage may vary as to whether that makes the game better or worse, but ultimately I feel that the game is best enjoyed on a level playing surface where it becomes a skill-based endeavor and not just the luck of who doesn't have the table bumped while they're trying to play their cats out. The next on our list, uh, apparently we're going to keep going with this cat theme, Exploding Kittens! Exploding Kittens was, at one point, the most backed tabletop gaming Kickstarter on Kickstarter. And what is Exploding Kittens? Well, it's a cutesy card-based Russian roulette variant. It's a press-your-luck style game where you're drawing cards from this big deck of cards, and eventually you get an Exploding Kitten. If you do, you're out. It's notable for featuring the art of Matthew Inman, a.k.a. The Oatmeal, and of being a very simple, easy-to-play game with not much depth to it, and a bunch of cute kittens. I mean, ultimately, it's just Russian Roulette the card game. It does have a press-your-luck dynamic to it, where as the deck gets smaller and smaller, there's a bigger and bigger chance that that kitten's going to be on top, but ultimately, it's really just flip the card, hope it's not a kitten. Pros, it's cute. Con, not a lot of skill. Let's move on. The next game on the list is Control by Keymaster Games. Control is a game where you're playing cards to try and reach a total of 21. Everyone is playing as time travelers who have been uh, trapped in a time rupture and you're trying to restart your time machine. The art on this game is pretty but stark and the gameplay is very straightforward. For the most part, there's a few wildcard sort of moments in there where something crazy might happen, but ultimately it's a pretty straightforward game with pretty straightforward gameplay that is very approachable and accessible, which is a good thing. And ultimately the Stark art, in my opinion, is actually quite beautiful and appealing. Mind you, if you're used to the sort of bright visual stimulation of the games that we've mentioned so far, like Exploding Kittens and Flux with regular show or Adventure Time, it's not going to appeal to you the same way. But one of the things I really like about it is how simple and straightforward the cards look. Pros. This game takes 5 to 15 minutes, very straightforward. It can be played very quickly and can be taught just as quickly. Requires almost no space to play. 
cons. The art is rather stark. It's mostly a two-tone black and silver or black and bronze. And it's one of those games where after you play it for a little while, you start to wonder if maybe there could be more to it. The next game on the list is Campy Creatures, also by Keymaster Games. I picked up Control because I was watching a demo of Campy Creatures. I decided to pick up both of these games because I was watching them. They looked like good, casual, fast games. Campy Creatures, you're playing as a mad scientist putting out these B-movie monsters to try and capture bystanders. It's a pretty simple, straightforward game. Everyone starts with a hand of these monsters, and you just play them to try and get different revealed bystanders. Sometimes the monsters do things like grab two bystanders when it's played. Sometimes they're just big monsters, like the kaiju. Other times you get monsters like the Gorgon, because apparently Stranger Things is very pervasive in nerd culture. And I'm okay with that. Um, pros of Campy Creatures. It's visually appealing. It's super tongue-in-cheek, and it's really campy. Downside of the game. It really isn't doing anything that hasn't been done in gaming before. Our next game is Zombie Dice. Zombie Dice is a relatively simple little dice game from Steve Jackson Games where you are a zombie trying to eat people. And in order to do that, you pull some dice out of a bowl, roll the dice, and hope to get brains, not shotgun blasts. Three shotgun blasts, you're out of the round. But before then, you can just collect as many brains as you have. Great, simple, very straightforward. It's a Yahtzee, Farkle-style game. With a press-your-luck dynamic which is a very common theme in casual games, if you haven't noticed. Pros of this game. These dice are actually really pretty. Red, green, yellow represent the different chances of getting shot. Downside is it's not really that new or interesting. It's just a zombie-themed dice game. And it can be a little loud, which could be a pro, I guess, if you're into that sort of thing. The next game on the list is Go Nuts for Donuts. Donuts for Donuts is a donut drafting game where everybody's trying to get the most delicious donuts. Of course, if everybody reaches for the same donut, nobody's going to get that donut. Because nobody wants a donut that everybody's already put their hands on. So players end up having to second guess which donut they think their opponent's going to go for and try to either go for a different donut or resign themselves to the fact that all they're doing is keeping him from getting a donut. Pros of the game? It's really cute. It's got an art style that's pretty common in game right games and that involves food with little faces on it which is a lot of fun it's got a nice delicious theme to it uh the donuts kind of make for a neat idea and it's very accessible and it kind of teaches a sort of psychological mechanic that might not be present in a lot of classic games that people might have in mind pros of the game very simple very easy to learn cons it's going to make you hungry. I mean, everyone likes donuts. And if you play a game with donuts for long enough, eventually your stomach's going to start rumbling. Also, cons, it's not gluten-free. One more con, it does require a little space to play because you have to be able to set out the donuts. And on top of that, you have to have the cards in your hand that allow you to say secretly which donut you're selecting. So there is a little bit to it, but it's not too bad in terms of setup and teardown. And ultimately, it's a fun little diversion. The last game we have is Sushi Go, or alternately, Sushi Go Party. 
Now, Sushi Go Party kind of pushes our limit for the price value of a casual game since it clocks in at right about that $25 mark. But Sushi Go Party is basically Sushi Go with several variants on Sushi Go included in it. Sushi Go is now kind of a classic drafting game. And it's a drafting game that you can use to teach new players how drafting games work before getting them into something meatier like, say, Seven Wonders, which is also a drafting game that has a lot more to it. Sushi Go is simple enough that you can teach someone the dynamics of drafting games, what to expect, and what happens when you play a drafting game without them having the commitment of playing through a whole game of Seven Wonders going, I have no idea what's going on. It also helps you teach some very key drafting mechanics. Hate drafting, love drafting, forming a strategy based on your opening hand, understanding that cards go one way and eventually will run out, so you will see some of these cards again, but not all of them. Then the cards go the other way, and eventually you score at the very end. This is a game which I think will be the most accessible to the non-gamers that you can introduce this to. It can be a good way of getting non-gamers into your gaming group. Pros of Sushi Go. Sushi Go has cute little sushi faces. Oh my gosh, Game Right is so good at making cute little faces on food. Uh, other pros. On the cards itself, there's not really a lot jumbling it up, making you have to read through piles and piles of text. It's just name of the card, little bit of art, little uh, little icon to let you know what it does. Very simple. Cons. Uh, well, you're going to want to go and get sushi afterward. Which is where things really get expensive. And other cons, uh, sometimes the theme of the game will turn people off. Oh, why do I want this sushi? Why, why is wasabi making this... Uh, nigiri better. It might not be for everyone just based on the theme if they don't like sushi. And if your friends don't like sushi, obviously you need new friends. Alright, so we've talked about a lot of casual games. We haven't really gone into why specifically this week we are talking about casual games. And there is a reason for that. So, we're putting this out about a week before Christmas. The end of December is chock full of these holidays where people are giving gifts. And casual games are a great gift. They're great stocking stuffers. As we said, all of the games on our list clock in at $25 or less. Some of them are down to 10 I think even one of them might be 5 bucks. Uh, if you actually want to go out and get some of the old cheap-ass games and have a source for them, those can be as little as $3. I mean, ultimately, the point is that these are small games that you can pick up that you can use as stocking stuffers for loved ones that you may have larger gifts for, or as gifts for various gifts exchanges you may be part of. They could be good gifts for a secret Santa or a white elephant gifts exchange. There are lots of options, and they make a great introduction to people who might not otherwise be serious gamers. It's a good way to bring people into that. On top of that, they're also fantastic for those family holiday gatherings where you might not want to be in a situation of open freeform socialization where, for instance, certain political topics may come up or religion or various other things that you really should not be discussing with your extended family. Instead, you can be discussing why it is that Uncle Joe hate drafted that wasabi knowing that there wasn't even any more nigiri for him to put it on. So he's only taking it so I can't have it. So this was the last episode of Save vs. Rant for this year. Amazing. Uh, thank you all for listening. That said, beginning of next year, 
Beginning of January, we have a new episode, and it is a great one. It's New School versus Old School. Now, when we talk about New School versus Old School, in this case, we're going to be talking exclusively about New School versus Old School RPGs. Now, the new paradigm in board games versus the classic paradigm in board games and the touchstones of board gaming are all something we do want to rant about, and we will rant about them. But this week is going to be about new school versus old school RPGs and the way that RPGs have changed from their introduction in the 1960s and 70s to the current day. So, once again, thank you very much for listening. Happy New Year to all of you. Happy uh, Christmas. Happy Kwanzaa. Happy Hanukkah. Happy, I don't know, there's probably 50 more holidays between now and the end of the year that I'm completely going to miss. Thank you very much for listening. This has been Save vs. Rant. Michael Jordan once said, Just play. Have fun. Enjoy the game. Save vs. Rant is a Tabletop Gamers Guild production. Your hosts are John and Jeremy, with music by Timmy Skittles. Save vs. Rant is recorded on dueling laptops in front of a silent and invisible studio audience. Visit us at SaveVsRant.com, or contact us on Facebook or Twitter at Save vs. Rant. We'd love to hear from you.